2: All right, this week we've been talking plenty about the political landscape with Election Day this past Tuesday, so much to talk about all over the country and specifically here in the great state of Minnesota. And I said I wanted to get on former State Senator Jeff Hayden, who's got uh, his finger on the pulse at all times politically and does an amazing job of being an analyst um, across the board on both uh, radio and television, and he joins us now. On the um, John Schuster Cole Banker Hotline. First off, Mr. Hayden, how you doing this evening?
3: I'm doing fantastic, Henry. Thank you for having me. I'm watching uh, Trey Holman put in a little work today for. You know, our own Trey Holman for Michigan State.
2: So we're having a great evening. Oh, man. See, now you're going to get me on the phone with Crystal in a minute. I'm going to have to call <laughs> Crystal Flint here in a minute and see what's going on. But 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 happy to have you here on the show on this on this Friday evening because you could be doing a million different things. But, I, hey, man, I, I like that, man. I like how you roll on a Friday night. you like, I'm going to watch me some, some college basketball. Let, let me ask you this. That's what who, I'm gonna do. who is your favorite college basketball program? Because I'm a Jayhawk fan.
3: Uh, you know, uh, I, you know, I'm always gonna make sure that I stay with the Gophers. I'm from, I'm, I'm, I'm from, uh, I'm, I'm from here. But at the same time, you know, I always like the Carolina Tar Heels. Um, you, you know, I I, 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 I gotta, I gotta say Duke is, is is at the top, though. I know most people don't like Duke, but I, I certainly uh, uh, like, like, like those two schools in North Carolina.
2: No question about it. All right, let's get into what has occurred here uh, this past week, and I want to start with just. You know, usually midterms, uh, there's a dramatic shift in power from one political party to the next. Um, not the case this year. Uh, the Democrats uh, across the country uh, exceeded expectations when everybody expected a, quote, red wave. Why do you think that that was the case?
3: Yeah, you know, um, all the models, all of the polling in history told us that the, you know, the president's party in the first term loses. A tremendous amount of speech not only national but the, but in the legislature, but there were two you know, there were two times since World war II, it was right after the Clinton impeachment that the country thought that the Republicans had went too far, and right after nine eleven in which the country came together and supported George Bush, this time, I think that what happened was the roe v Wade decision really woke up a lot of people not only not only just women uh, but also people of color and people who cared about democracy and this, like, rolling back hard-fought rights that people um, uh, have fought for. And for the, for the Supreme Court, the Trump Supreme Court, to just the first thing they did out the gate was to roll back back, um, I think people started to see that. The other underlying issue that I think a lot of people didn't talk about with the January 6th insurrection mm. in which we got very close to people taking over and having a coup d'état in this country. Uh, people storming the Capitol, looking for the Speaker of the House, looking for the Vice President, looking to do harm to them. And we got a chance to really see uh, in our living rooms behind the scenes of that. So I think that you started to start to understand that this kind of movement, this kind of, you know, this isn't like a Democrat or Republican thing per se. But this this fringe wing uh, of folks, especially you know a lot of folks, and I don't want to offend people who supported President Trump, but there's a fringe wing there uh, that, that really started to threaten our democracy. I think Minnesotans started to pay attention to that. I think people in the country started to pay attention to that. And that was the extraordinary circumstance that kind of pushed back. On this, on this movement and where you saw Democrats make those gains.
2: You know, that's interesting that you say that because that's the first time I've actually heard that, but it does make a lot of sense. And, and when I hear that from you, um, Jeff, it, it really tells me that the primetime um, committee hearings that we had in terms of the January 6th committee, to me, that, that says that it was significant, that it was very impactful for what they did.
3: You know, I think it was because what it did is it made the case. You know, these, these political ads that hit you with one, 30 seconds, 15 seconds, minute ads, they kind of pull out everything, said, you know, the, the governor's wrong about this, or Scott Jensen was wrong about that, or Keith Ellison. Well, the way that that worked, it was a bipartisan committee, you know, Representative Thompson from Mississippi, Benny Thompson, Representative Lee, Liz Cheney. Dick Cheney's daughter from Wyoming, right? Yep. Uh, both of them are patriots. Both of them love America. And they systematically, with the committee, walked you through, saw the footage, saw law enforcement people getting beat up, saw people storming the Capitol, storming the, the offices, looking for the vice president, looking for the Speaker of the House, and largely looked at that the President of the United States at the time didn't do anything to stop it. As a matter of fact, he had a fuel to the fire. Um, I, don't, I don't. that's not what America's about, no matter who you are. And I think that people started to understand that. And then the road decision started to show the manifestation of that behavior by pulling back rights. So I'm in an interracial relationship. My wife is white and Latina. You know, Henry, in Virginia in the, in the 60s and the 70s or the 60s and the 50s, the Loving versus Virginia case, it was illegal in, in Virginia for me to marry my wife. Right? Mm-hmm. And we can start to pull back the civil rights. We can pull back Jim Crow. We can go all the way to slavery. We can, the, the Roe v. Wade or the Dobbs decision about the road that, that Roe v. Wade, those were hard fought decisions for women to say that they get to make the decision about their body. This between them and their healthcare professional, not a politician and not the government. And so I think people, even if you aren't in favor of abortion, what most people are in favor of is them making that decision and not somebody doing that for them. And so since that kicked it down to the states, I think you started to see states like the Kentucky repudiate that, Kansas. And I think you saw this in Minnesota where people looked up and said, oh, wait a minute. We don't necessarily trust um, that Scott, that Dr. J- Scott Jensen, who I served with, I-, I have a lot of respect for him. Or Matt Burke, who's a political novice, but we're sports fans, a great offensive lineman, but a political novice and really conservative. I think that it wasn't so much that Walls Walls went through a lot. Governor Walls is a friend of mine as well. Went through a lot. Uh, uh, Attorney General Ellison, who's a longtime friend, went through a lot. They might have not done everything the best that they could. I actually thought that they did a good job, since I was also a legislator at the time of the uh, pandemic and George Floyd's murder. But I think that they trusted less that. Uh, uh, Matt Berg and and Dr. Jensen and others can do it, especially representing a part of the Republican Party uh, that looked like it would, wanted to repeal rights away, which leads to our democracy uh, going away for a lot of people.
2: Talking to former member of the Minnesota Senate Jeff Hayden here on the Lake Show on News Talk A WCCO. He's joining us on the John Schuster Cole Banker Hotline. So let's get into Governor Walls. What worked? In your opinion, or was the main reason or or main reasons that folks said that Governor Walls was worthy of reelection?
3: Well, you know the one thing about Governor Walls is that, um, and I, you know, once again, I served with him. He 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 makes a decision and he owns this decision. None of us in our lives, and people are fooling themselves if every decision that they make is the right decision, right? You take in the information that you have at the time and you go out there and you do the best that you can. Um, What Governor Walz did through two extraordinary circumstances, a worldwide pandemic and the murder of George Floyd, either one of them that he started, he had to go out and make decisions on how to keep this state safe. And some of those things in hindsight, I'm sure uh, he would have done differently, uh, but at the time with the information that he had, he did the best job we all did that served in the legislature, did the best job. So it's easy to Monday morning quarterback I think people understand that. I think people understand that Governor Walz isn't straightforward. He's a he's a, he's a a working class person. He was a command sergeant major in the National Guard. He was a football coach. Uh, he's a teacher and educator, him and his wife, Gwen. And I think that ultimately, even if you didn't like some of his policies, even if you thought that some of the things he did was a little too much, the mask mandates, or maybe closing down the schools, I think what they see is that he made the decision based on science. He made the decision based on the information that he had and that he owned his mistakes if things didn't go so well. I think that people trusted uh, – uh, a lot of people trusted Tim Walz uh, moving forward, and they just opposed that with, uh, with former Senator Dr. Scott Jensen, who I don't believe that they uh, thought that, that he had a well-thought-out plan, and there were many times on the campaign trail – which Dr. Jensen talked about things, but really couldn't back up how those things would actually work. And so I think it came, you know, down to all of those factors. But I think that people trusted uh, uh, Governor Walz uh, when it came time for a crisis
2: You know, Jeff, one of the things that and I've harped on this all week long. Um, and I don't think that there's any perfect candidate. Right. We there we, you know, just like human beings, there's no perfect person. We all got flaws. But I thought that there was some very serious miscalculations by Republicans, Um, not just nationally, but, it, but let's just stick strictly here in the great state of Minnesota, because you mentioned, you know, the political ads. Right. And and one of the things that was always being harped on was lawlessness and crime and and and, and all of this stuff that was being thrown at um, the Demo- uh, the Democratic uh, Party. I think that there was a mis- major miscalculation because in terms of going strictly with that, without laying out what is your plan, when we start talking about getting more police officers hired, what is the plan? When you talk about reducing crime, what is the plan? And I don't think that any member of the GOP was able to articulate for all of us as voters what their plan was. Uh, I think you're right. I think that it's
3: easy to say what the problem is. It's much harder to say what the plan is to fix it, right? I think that you find communities that are stable, that have great housing, that have great schools, have less crime, right? And I think that the communities in our state and in our city that don't have those things have more crime, right? Yep. I think that the idea of having fleshing out what that crime and safety conversation is, It's law enforcement, it's community-based interrupters, disruptors, mental health facilities. But beyond that, it's the condition. I just got off the phone with the state representative, um, and I'm not going to say her name because, you know, I want her to be able to articulate her plan. But one of the things that she was saying is that um, in Minneapolis, in Minnesota, we're 19% homeownership. We're we're close to the 80% for white Minnesotans, Right. I don't mean to racialize this, but what I do want to say is that if we're only at 19 to 23%, depending upon when you take the poll, we're last in the nation in black home ownership, and then synonymously there are communities that are predominantly black that have these kind of issues around crime, if we're only graduating black kids at 50-plus percent and they can't compete in the workforce, get that great education like you and I had and be able to compete in the marketplace, um, then they end up turning and making poor choices. And so I think that the conversation and I think the work that Governor Walz, I can say it, people can say that I'm partisan. I think people know that I'm a Democrat. I serve in the Democratic legislature. But we work together to put money in communities, workforce development, education, housing, infrastructure inside of those communities because we know the outcome of that means that you have less crime, that people feel like that they're part of this community and they don't have to disrupt it. Now, mind you, there are some people that just need to go to jail. There's some people who, no matter what you do, they're going to have to cool their jets, as my grandmother used to say, (laughs) and sit down and keep them out of harm's way. But there are a lot of folks that are making poor decisions because they don't feel like they have any other choice. And so the conversation that I think that Governor Walz and Lieutenant Governor um, uh, Flanagan and members of the legislature, by the way, shout out to Senator Bobby Joe Champion, the first black uh, president of the Minnesota Senate. That's right. Uh, and my good friend, Kerry D. who's going to be the majority leader from Northeast Minneapolis. But, you know, and I served with them. They're my friends. Um, I'm extremely biased in terms of their leadership. But I also know that their leadership and other leadership that work working with the governor uh, and the Speaker of the House, or I don't want to leave her out, and others are really working to make more vibrant communities. And this isn't taking one from the other. This is bringing up communities that, that have been disaffected over the years, redlining, uh, uh, other, other disinvestments, and bringing those investments on par to the rest of the state. And I think you'll find that Minnesota is a very good state. It'll become a great state. And I think that those – I feel like I'm preaching here. I feel like I'm back on the campaign trail. <laughs> but I think that those are the things that we can do. And I think that, unfortunately, uh, former Senator Jensen and Matt Burke and Kim Crockett and Jim Schultz, Uh, and Kirk Dowd and other Republicans, many who I know, this is not a disrespectful uh, conversation, but I think that they lack the understanding of what it is that they need to do. I think they easily pointed out the problem, but didn't come with the solution or the solution was simply to lock everybody up. And we went through the war on drugs in the 90s and we saw that that didn't work. So I I just think that we have to do more. Um, I also will say that, um this state is getting uh they said it when i got on let 12 years ago we're getting grayer and browner we're getting more diverse and when you look at the maps um that that reflected in how people voted uh where the region way out in anoka county voted for you know democrats there and i think that the democratic party not only has these solutions that maybe people like or don't but they certainly uh, outreach and have a much more diverse coalition that's more reflective of the state
2: All right, final question for you. We're talking to former uh, Minnesota State Senator Jeff Hayden here on the Lake Show on the Good Neighbor News Talk, 830 WCCO. About 90 seconds. The question is this. um, How is your view now of polling, not just locally but nationally? I think that polling will be forever viewed um, differently based off of this election cycle. And the reason why I say that, Jeff, is because – It was inaccurate, extremely inaccurate. And whether you believe that Republicans were utilizing polling to try to shift it and create a red wave that never was truly there, that could be one thing. But I think another thing that was not factored into the polling, we got to give the young people their flowers. The young people came out and they really represented when we talked about going out there and voting. So your thoughts on just polling in general and and where how it's going to be viewed on moving forward.
3: Yeah, so I think that polling, um, has. It, I, I think that it may catch up at some point, but polling is behind the times in terms of how they interact with people, how they call people, um, how they how they touch bases with people. And so I think often pollsters are still picking up the landline, are trying to call you and get you on the line. I, I don't think that they're utilizing all of the, the, the way in which we communicate uh, to be able to get to, to, to be able to understand how people are really feeling I, I i think that historical presidents took over the polling and people just said well i don't really know and i got some information but i'm going to use history as my guide and i think that things are changing so rapidly that we have to find a different way of how to talk to the electorate understand what their issues are and then be able to get that information out of them so right now the the way that we are polling is, is antiquated and inadequate. However, it's still the business, and people will still sell you to say that they know what is going on. But I think that the the better uh, uh, ways in which we talk to people – here's the last thing I'm going to say uh, to you, Henry. Uh, people of color, uh, African-American people, African-American women in particular, but people of color and young people, right, I think that often we're not talking to them. They're not the ones picking up that phone. And so the more that we can get into communities to where people are and have a conversation with them, that is, that is richer than are you going to vote for A or B, but really start to understand how they feel. And you can extrapolate to then who's the candidate that they're more likely to support. I think that that's going to be the way that we poll in the future.
2: Jeffrey Hayden, ladies and gentlemen, give him a follow on Twitter, at Jeffrey Hayden, as long as Twitter's still a thing, because it could be uh, It yeah, could be extinct. You know.
3: That thing going <laughs> away, no too. Who knows what's going on? These guys got a little bit too much money. They got a guy complex. So, <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, so I think at some point that thing may have to start over again, too. Yeah. But, but at any rate, listen, brother, you are doing a fantastic job. Anytime uh, that you want me on the show or anything I can do to help you, let me know.
2: I appreciate that. Hey, Jeff, uh, best uh, to you and continued success, my friend, and we'll talk to you soon.
3: I, pre- I appreciate A Big shout-out to Van Hayden. He's listening to you while he's doing a movie. My cousin out uh, out in Atlanta, he listens to you every. Day.
2: Oh, all right. That's what I'm talking about, man. We're doing big things here. Thanks again. Jeff Hayden joining us here Thank on the you. John Schuster Coal Banker Hotline.